Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey everyone, I am Judy Greer and these are the movies that changed my life. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is Judy Greer. You may know Judy from Arrested Development, Jurassic World, or her many roles in iconic rom-coms like 13 Going on 30 and 27 Dresses. But soon you'll be able to catch her in Hulu's Good Boy, which is the upcoming installment of Blumhouse's monthly horror series called Into the Dark. Judy and I talk about working alongside Jamie Lee Curtis in the new Halloween, her appreciation of fans of Arrested Development, and a film that is also on my list of movies that changed my life. Once again, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to leave us a star rating or leave a review uh, or give us a shout on social media using hashtag movies that changed my life. Thanks again for listening. And here's movies that changed my life with Judy Greer. Judy Greer, I am a huge fan of so many things in your career. Uh, 13 going on 30, Arrested Development, which I will talk to you for my own uh, (laughs) self-indulgence a little bit here. Um, But how are you doing on this Friday morning? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm the same as every other day, you know. (laughs) (laughs) The days, is it Friday? I don't know. I know. It's like everything, I like having to check my calendar very frequently because I I literally lose track of days. It's very bizarre. It is weird. I mean, like work-wise, I feel like we're still kind of sticking to like a Monday through Friday, like for like work stuff. But no, it all feels kind of the same. But I'm really good. <laughs> uh, speaking of work stuff, your IMDb page is always. First of all, do you know how many credits you have on your IMDb page as an actress? No. Even ballpark. <sighs> like I feel like maybe like eighty something. Hundred forty-one. What? Yes. And those, that is actually a lot, 141. But a lot of it's like, you know, little things. Yeah, still. But yeah, wow, that is a lot. Yeah, that is like, like I was shocked. I mean, I knew you've been in stuff for, you know, all over the place. Like animation, uh, Marvel yeah. movies, Jurassic yeah. World, all that sort of stuff. But it's, it was when I saw it, I was like, holy crap. Uh, and yeah. you have so many awesome things coming up, uh, not just this year. You have things announced for next year and things coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Speaking of first, let's talk about Into the Dark. So Into the Dark is like is the Blumhouse Hulu anthology horror series. Uh, yeah. and you are starring in one and executive producing a one called Good yeah. Boy, right? Yeah. yeah so we want to yeah. talk about that. I think this is such a funny story. So I somewhere around this room you may see or I have this little terrier rescue dog that I that I got and um and you know in the in this like 
well, now everything's different, but where everyone <laughs> was having like emotional support animals all the time. And it was kind of becoming a little over the top, like having a turkey on an airplane and like an emotional support snake and like stuff like that. Uh, this is, um, in the genre of horror, of course, like poking fun at that. And this woman adopts this emotional support animal because her life is, it's, it's sort of not where she wanted to be at her age. And so she adopts this dog to calm her down. And basically, uh, it goes awry. <laughs> Uh, the, yeah. dog take, the dog takes its job very seriously. Very, very seriously. Um, I've had a chance to watch it, and it is a great time. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. Um, so how did you get involved uh, in, in the role? I've heard a funny story where, like, you were working in a coffee shop somewhere, and some people <laughs> literally came was, up to you. Um, I was actually walking my dog by the coffee shop, and the two writers, Will and Aaron, um, they saw me walk by and they like ran out. They were like, Judy, Judy, you don't know us, but we're represented at your management company and we're writers and we're like in this coffee shop. We were like literally just like writing the script with you in mind. And then you walk by with a dog and it's about a girl and a dog. And like, this is so crazy. And I was like, okay, everyone calm down. Um, <laughs> so they kind of like loosely like pitched me the story right there. And I was like, this is kind of interesting. Like, why don't we all like, let's set up like a proper coffee and, sure. uh, and, and do like it properly. And so we did that. And I thought the story was really great. I had just finished the first Halloween and I had such a great experience at Blumhouse. Um, we all had a big love fest. They were like, Hey, anything comes your way you're interested in, like, please like send it to us. And so I did, I sent it over there and they felt like it would be perfect for their end of the dark series. So that's kind of how that came up and why I got to be an executive producer, which is cool. So for those who aren't maybe the biggest fans or too scared of horror, I still think Good Boy <laughs> is a fun watch because yes. it's like yeah. very camp. It's very like over the top. And yeah. it's like you're more giggling as like what is happening like along the way. Um, was that like intentional? Did you know the guys wanted to do it very tongue in cheek from the get go? Yeah. Uh, you know, when we hired Tyler to direct it, um, it was a. Uh, that's a genre like the sort of like comedy broad horror uh, is a genre that he is so good at. So, um, yeah, with a script like that, it could go a lot of different directions, but I just thought it would be more fun to have fun with it. Um, if we are making fun of this, uh, service animal <laughs> industry, then like, let's really make fun of it. Um, and yeah, I think that's a fun way to make a horror movie. And it's especially fun. Cause like you said, like, Anyone who doesn't like horror would probably really like this movie. I mean, yes, we do have some scares in it, but like, right. it's a good time. Like we said earlier, um, each episode of Into the Dark is about a holiday during the month. And so June's holiday is Pet Appreciation Day, <laughs> uh, which, <laughs> which is great because this is a very funny way to, you know, to say thank you to pets uh, yeah. who go the very full distance to uh, protect their yeah. owners. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a yappy dog too, so I understand. Oh, yeah. I was watching, yeah. I was like, you know, if, if Abby really wanted to, this this might happen. So Yeah, definitely <laughs> mine, Mary. She a hundred percent would. She's tried, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you talked about Jason Blumhouse already and you talked about Halloween. So you were just in like the reboot of Halloween alongside yeah. uh the amazing Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, and you it. have two more coming out already, uh 2020, 2021. Um Obviously, you probably can't say much about either of the films. Um, but how about just you know getting to expand across the first film to, to three more? What was that getting to work with Jason and, and the rest of the crew? And well, uh, David Gordon Green likes to keep 
the same. He likes his crew. And so going and doing, so we haven't shot the third one yet. Um, but going back to shoot the second one, Halloween kills was basically just like going back to your family, like that you love so much. Cause it's all the same people and people love David so much. They want to come back and keep working for him. So that's why he gets such a great crew and he gets like people coming back and, um, actors included, not that we always have a choice, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, yeah, it was kind of just like going home. Um, the first one we shot in Charleston, the second one we shot in Wilmington, it was kind of fun to like be in a different place, but, uh, it's such an honor. Um, once I, I was so excited to get cast in this role, but once I, got to Charleston to start shooting the first one and, and working so closely with Jamie Lee Curtis, like I realized like what a huge honor it was to sort of like pick up this franchise again and tell this story of trauma and of this woman who has been haunted her whole life by this man. And, um, and I was like, Whoa, like I thought I was like going to go make a fun horror movie with some cool people, but like really we were, there was a lot resting on, this movie. So I was so happy with how people received it. I was happy with how it ended up working with Jamie Lee Curtis is like, I mean, she's so inspiring and she loves Laurie Strode so much Mm -hmm. and she loves the franchise so much and she has so much ownership over it and over the story and like literally and figuratively, but like, you know, (laughs) she, she just makes you want to make the best movie possible. And she made me want to like tell this story truly and deeply and not just like make a fun campy horror movie. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, so when and- I got there, we started working. I realized like, Oh, we're like, we're making a movie. It just happens that a dude tears people's like organs out of their body and stuff. But <laughs> so 2020 and then 2021, Back to back years, and they're both going to be coming out around Halloween, right? That's the idea, like on Halloween or ideally (laughs) right around that weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we will keep an eye for that. All right, so let's get into the movies that changed your life. Uh, Where do you want to start? You sent over four awesome picks. I know because I thought you might want to choose. Oh no, we can go all four. Oh, cool. We prepped them all four. This is this is how we do it here. Um, Where do you want to start? Is there any, or do you want me to choose for you? You start. You start. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start with the oldest one first, the oldest release. Mm-hmm. So let's start with Casablanca. So 1942's uh, classic Casablanca, directed by Michael Curtis, written by Julius J. Epstein and Philip J. Epstein, Howard Koch as well, starring Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Berman, Paul Heinrich. Um, set the scene here. What? When was the first time you saw Casablanca? Well, I grew up uh, in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan, and there's this beautiful old theater in downtown Detroit called the Fox Theater. And when I, this, they spent like a few years re- renovating it while I was in high school. And when it first opened, like kind of their soft opening was that they would play old movies there. Um, and I had never seen Casablanca and I think, uh, it was the summer before my senior year of high school and my boyfriend at the time, like my high school sweetheart and I drove down to Detroit and saw Casablanca for the first time in this like huge, old, beautiful theater, like the way it would have been seen the first time around, I'm assuming, you know, um, before the age of the multiplex. I think one of the reasons I responded so much to the movie was, part of it was that first experience of like going to this big old movie theater and seeing it on that huge screen. And it was so beautiful and, and she's so beautiful and their story is so romantic and sad. And, you know, like I just, I, 
I like unhappy endings. Not that you could definitely argue it's a happy ending, but as far as the couple is concerned, you know, you see that like she doesn't spoiler alert. I'm not going to say a swear word, but like, <laughs> I don't feel bad for spoiling because she doesn't stay with him. It's so bittersweet and so beautiful. And, um, I think I'm, I've always since then been drawn to like the unhappy ending. Um, I think, you know, the, the look on his face when he sees her for the first time is, I mean, I don't know how you could ever replicate that performance. Um, the friendship, you know, between obviously like Sam and, and, and him. And, um, I loved just their love story, mm-hmm. I guess. And also the bar Ricks is just so so cool. cool. Like that, that set is amazing. And every little character in it is important to the plot and, and everyone gets their moment. And it's so, it's really like, that's challenging. And I appreciate that as often a supporting character in Mm. movies. Um, I, I guess it made me feel too, when I saw it in high school, like, oh, this is what grownups watch, like grownups watch old movies and black and white movies. And, and so that made me feel kind of like mature for my age too. When I rewatched this for, for this recording, I haven't seen it probably in maybe 15 ish years. It is like, and I watched it again and I'm so glad you watched it again from the beginning. You are like locked in. I mean, I know. like there's right, not a wasted moment. No, no. It's like, so it's like incredibly fast paced. Like the first time they go into uh, Rick's uh, cafe, American, uh, mm-hmm. And they they walk through and they show all the key players, like people playing yep. poker, the bartender, Sam playing piano, like all the things so fast. So many people involved. And every, yeah. like you said, everyone matters. It's, it's really cool to see, especially for a movie, like when people don't want to watch an old black and white, like classic movie, they yeah. maybe think, like, oh, it's going to be, you know, this really slow thing. But it's like Casablanca, I think the note I took is that it has action, it has mystery, it has drama, it has romance. Yes. And they yes. do it so perfectly. Like you don't, they don't miss a beat in anywhere. I know it's kind of a perfect movie. I mean, there's every, every, every moment is filled perfectly. There's no wasted time. There's no wasted space. There's no wasted shots or dialogue, like everything furthers the plot along. And, and, and yet it's like so beautiful. You do kind of get lost in it. You feel like time sort of stops there. At least I do when I watch it. Yeah. I love it. So something very important about this movie uh, is that I think a, there are so many lines that people don't realize come from, that, yeah. from this movie. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Everyone knows that, but then there's like, well, I didn't realize a uh, round up the usual suspects came from this movie. Oh, yeah. Like that was a shock to me. Do you have a favorite like one line or, or sort of bit that uh, comes up? I mean, I'm a sucker for the end when he's like, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Like, I love that moment. Yeah. But I'm also a sucker for all the gin joints and all that. Like, that is, like, so good. I mean, what a – I mean, really, he's not wrong. Right. <laughs> what, what are the chances? <laughs> very, very low. Um, another one I love is We'll Always Have Paris. I think that's such, like, a beautiful mm-hmm. way to end it. Um, again, spoiler alerts, folks. But <laughs> <laughs> um, And then on the other side of that, I think there are shots from this movie that people, like even if you've never seen Casablanca, you can see, a, a, a you know, a, like the side angle of Ingrid Berman or yes. that shot of Rick sitting, uh, smoking a cigar when you first see him. And people like 
who haven't seen the movie, they look at that like, oh yeah, that's from Casablanca. Like it's funny mm-hmm. how like impactful it is just because you see images like that, you know, in like Academy Award montages or, Always, uh, yes. you know, or, or Criterion Collection commercials or yes. things like that. Like people just know it. Um, it it's so funny. Do you, and do you have any specific reason why you think it's like just lasting imagery like that? I, I guess for me, it's like a, a mood. Like when mm-hmm. you see that one image, it, it tells you the whole story, the whole mood, the whole tone, like that whole feeling it conveys. I mean, and, and because it really is like a piece of art, I think that, you know, we see these pictures from the movie and they feel like home, you know, they, mm-hmm. he just creates these gorgeous tableaus and, and, and they convey so much. I mean, it kind of just goes back to what we were saying before, like that you, he does, there's nothing wasted in that movie. And, and I don't know, there's some really great, you know, there's so, so many from so many old films, like iconic images, like mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman on the, in the pool, in the graduate with his glass, you know what right, I mean? Right. And you just like, and that picture tells a story and that's kind of, those famous images from Casablanca tell those stories too. Like the look on his face when he sees her, like that's all you kind of need to know about right. how he feels about her, you yeah. know, and just her face. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like something insane. I know. And, and, is that beautiful. <laughs> and, and like the way, uh, I mean, it's kind of a famous story, but the director, Michael Curtis, he shot her differently than everyone else throughout the movie. Like they put, you know, the twinkly lights in front of her so her eyes would glisten and they put a softer lens on her. And like things like that, it's, it's so cool to see because like he was having the viewer view her, her as uh, Rick views. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's so cool to see that they do things like that. I mean, way back then that, uh, you know, people try and emulate now, but get close, yeah. but not quite to that level. It's great. Right. Well, it's because it's in, it was enhancing the storytelling, not just about like, a beauty shot. You know right. what I mean? Like right. it was, it was all to serve this greater purpose instead of now, sometimes when you're watching a movie, you can see like, if they're cutting back and forth between close-ups, you're like, this is a fully different lit. <laughs> like this is not how the scene is lit. In the <laughs> like, and by the way, usually it's to my benefit when it's me. So I'm like, great, light, light, light me, please. But, but definitely sometimes you're like, I don't think that, you know, like they've definitely like changed to make this actor actor look more attractive. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know that it always serves the purpose of the story. In this case, I think it does. Right. Um, well, fantastic. Casablanca. Classic. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, come on. Please. People, please watch it. No excuse your home anyway. So next movie up here, this is uh, one of the movies that changed my life as well. So this is okay. 1994's Pulp Fiction. Uh, 8.9 out of 10 on IMDb, 1.7 million ratings, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring John Travolta, Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis, Ving Rings, Uma Thurman, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Eric Stoltz, list goes on and on and on and on. Um, set the scene for this one, please. I mean, this movie, blew, like, it blew up what we thought of movies when it came out. I feel like there is before Pulp Fiction and there's after Pulp Fiction. And like, obviously I'm a super fan of this film. Um, I'm not always a huge fan of Quentin Tarantino's movies. Like Mm -hmm. I always see them and like respect them. But Mm -hmm. this one just like, I mean, don't you agree that there's like before Pulp Fiction and after like, 
just like, even the way he tells the story, like the narrative is all over the place and it totally works and it totally makes sense. And he just like rips apart all the rules of everything. And God, I just like, it is such a ride. It's so wild. And, and I mean, I'm even now thinking of when Bruce Willis like goes back and like, he like, and you're like, what are It's like, God, the, the, my husband and I constantly are like, when we call each other, we're like, prank caller, prank caller. (laughs) I mean, there's just like, if you want to talk about like iconic, like, like images and lines, like how many are there from this movie? Like like a day goes by that someone's not quoting like, like a Royale, which he's like, I just don't even like, even the other night I had had a nightmare. (laughs) Oh, and I was in bed and I like stood up and went, oh, and, like my husband was like, what's up, Uma Thurman? Like, like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm probably, I'm not, probably not a great guest on your podcast. No, this is great. No, because they, we're getting the pure emotion. I just, it makes me so excited. This movie, you can never not want to watch it. You can't even believe like the stuff that happens in it. I mean, every single scene is so perfect when they go to that Oh my God. And they go to the apartment and those kids, it's just too much. Like the suspense yes. um, that is built up in that movie too. In every scene. Jeez Louise. <laughs> there, there's like, I mean, this is for me, this is one of the, it's one of the most watched movies, probably like my two or three most watched movies ever. And every time yeah. you watch it, there's, there's something you get out of it. And um, when I was rewatching this one, I, the whole movie is, I think it's a, is a perfect 10, 10 for me, but yeah. it is probably the first 45 minutes to an hour of this movie is like the most brilliantly written yeah. like, piece of filming. There's so much, so much good stuff in it. I mean, like every scene, like you said, is quotable. Uh, every performance, uh, is amazing. So when, when you saw this, you happen to see this in theater or did you see it? Yeah. Um, what was like I- the... I, you know, what happened for me, I was in, I think I was a, a first year in school in Chicago when it came out and, um, the, the soundtrack, I mean, God, this is so long ago, but like the soundtrack came out first and I bought a CD of it. Like, like I just, I just like became so obsessed with the music of it and thinking like, what is this movie going to be? Like what? Like what is what that connects all these songs? Because I remember like Reservoir Dogs um, just had such a great, uh, such a great soundtrack. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, such a great soundtrack, and and how much that added to the film. The songs really were like a part of a the part storytelling, of and so I was just like, could not wait for Pulp Fiction to come out. I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand these images I'm seeing of this movie. Um, you know, this is also like before the internet. So yeah. you're really only seeing trailers and movie theaters for movies or if you're watching television and it's a commercial for the movie. And so like, it just was incredible. Like I couldn't understand it. And then going to the theater, like I think I went like opening day, like my mind was completely blown. I couldn't believe how you could tell a story in this way and how it worked in these performances, which you know, like just we're so in this over the top world, like 
so grounded and so good and believable. And then like, thank you again for bringing me John Travolta back because <laughs> right? like he was gone. I hope he writes a nice Christmas card to Quentin Tarantino every year uh, because we're weren't you kind of so intrigued with like, what is John Travolta doing in doing this in movie? This. Like, how is that? How is he in that movie with Uma Thurman and Samuel Jackson? Like, that's so crazy. Um, yeah, it was, it just like it blew my mind. Clearly I was, uh, I thought like everything's different now, you know, like movies are going to be different now. Yeah. Many people try and do what he did. Right. Similar kind of what we said about Casablanca, but obviously on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, cl- like any filmmaker, uh, actor, writer, anyone in the film industry, I feel like, like currently maybe like getting their, uh, their reels together and they're coming up now, like all have Pulp Fiction as like, yeah. I want to do something that's like going to change the film industry like this. And, and it, it, it did. And still does like it's still when you watch it now, like there are a lot of impactful movies, I think, when they're <clears throat> that are older, we're like, oh, yeah, like this is I, I understand how this was important. And like, but time, things yeah. have developed since then, like for the mm-hmm. better. And like, I don't know, like Pulp Fiction is like a, a, such a, a piece of film history and like um, that crosses both like the uber like cinephile nerds who will break down like every scene and like you know oh there's that shot when the the camera goes through the fence when Bruce Willis is going back to his apartment like analyzing yeah. that stuff and yeah. then there's a side of people who just like yeah it's like an awesome movie it's like the best movie it's so funny I know yeah. I think so I'm a little I, I think I straddle that line because like you know I appreciate so much like what like the the art of the movie but then at the same time like i easily can just watch it and get totally right. lost in it too and um this movie i feel like is for everybody it's like like women and men alike you know i mean i don't know a dude who's not like i love the godfather <laughs> i know a lot of women who are like yeah I, yeah okay the godfather <laughs> like like we'll all agree that it's kick-ass and it's yeah. important but like i'm not like i'm watching the godfather I just, it was on and I had to watch it to the end. Like, I don't see a lot of my girlfriends being like, yeah, the Godfather was on, so I had to watch it to the end. Like, right. no one turns off Pulp Fiction. I love that. That's a great way to put it. Uh, do you have a favorite, I know this is so hard, do you have a favorite scene or a favorite moment in this whole movie that when you think of Pulp Fiction, this is where you go to? Impossible, I mean, I it's impossible because we were, I was just talking about it with someone else the other day. We were arguing about, it was in like a Zoom drinks I was having. Sure. And we were arguing about um, if there was uh, alcohol in the milkshake. And we were oh. like, no, there isn't. And like one of the people was like, yeah, no, there was. There was like whiskey in it. That's why he wanted it. He had to taste it. I'm like, no, 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 no. He was like, it's just ice cream and ice or milk and ice. Like, he's like, I don't understand like why it's like a $12, whatever it was, milkshake. And I was like, no, there was no alcohol. Like we were just arguing about it the other day. And a $5 shake. Anyone with that shake, Martin and Lewis or Amos and Andy? Martin and Lewis. Did you just order a $5 shake? Mm-hmm. That's a shake. That's milk and ice cream. Last I heard. That's $5. You don't put bourbon in or nothing? No. Just check. I'll be right back with your drinks. <laughs> um, I mean, the dance is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do love, I love Eric Stoltz and Rosanna Arquette. Oh, I mean, like, so that's good. exactly, and that random friend who's over there. Who's just I smoking mean, like, her bog in the background. 
And just like, that's exactly that house. Like when you used to have to go and buy weed from a weed dealer, like that's the house you went to 100% of the time. Like that's exactly, I'm like, feel like I have bought weed in that house from Eric's <laughs> When Eric's was like, get the book, get the yeah. book, get the yeah, book. Oh, it's so good. I mean, those, it's just so, I don't know. There are, yeah, it's, it's hard to choose, but in any hard. scene, any scene. Oh, by the way, it changes too. It's just so good. Yeah. Uh, you don't I know why these people know each other. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Yeah, you don't have to explain it. It just don't matter. And like that's – when I think of like filmmaking, when I'm writing and, and trying to I, – I, I think I forget. I think I have to over-explain everything. And you know what? I mean, at least maybe I, I actually probably do. But like when Tarantino does not, he just – Tells you what you need to know. I'm assuming every single person who's listening to an IMDb podcast has seen Pulp Fiction, but just in case you haven't, just. Please. I mean, <laughs> yeah, please. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of Movies That Changed My Life. Uh, if you are, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to make sure that you get all of your new episodes as soon as they are available. Because trust me, you won't want to miss the incredible guests we have coming up to nerd out about some of their favorite movies like Tatiana Maslany and Felicia Day, just to name a few. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out imdb.com slash podcast for more content and to easily add movies that we talk about on this show to your IMDb watch list. Now let's get back to movies that changed my life with Judy Greer. Yeah, I mean, Arrested Development. I remember my friend got, tried getting me to watch it when it was on air and like I didn't really get it for the first couple I episodes know. and he was, like, he was like keep going and then I just became massively massively obsessed with it like the other <laughs> hardcore Arrested Development fans I mean I dressed up as like uh George Michael for Halloween one year oh, with the wait, banana wait. stand thing um I mean you think to your friend <laughs> yeah I did yeah I mean it, it's such like an impactful show because it was so it's still ahead of its time I still think comedy shows have a hard time like trying to figure out like exactly how it was so perfect um so I just had to gush about Arrested Development oh, well, but, thank you, know, you very much it kind of had um, to happen. You know, I do when it first came out on um on television and like you said like people just weren't really watching it but you had these like freaky fans who did get it right away. Like whenever I would get recognized on the street from Arrested Development, I was like, you're cool. You're cool because you're watching this cool show right now while it's on TV, you know? Yeah. And then and then when it 
went off the air and everyone was whining about it. They're like, why? And I was like, I have a little chip on my shoulder. I want to yeah. be like, because you didn't watch it. <laughs> things are different now. You don't have to watch things yeah. on TV anymore, like when they're on. But yeah, at the time I was like, anyone who compliments Arrested is like a real fan. Yeah. That's good. That's good to hear. Uh, I'm sure all the Arrested fans who will definitely be listening to this would love to hear that. <laughs> and now they can all, everyone can pat themselves on the back and say, see, Judy said it too. Yeah. yeah. Let's go to 1982's Tootsie is your next pick. Oh. Uh, directed by Sidney Pollack, written by Dan McGuire, uh, Larry Gelbert, um, starring Dustin Hoffman, Jessica Lange, Terry Garr, Dabney Coleman, Bill Murray, um, Gina Davis in her first role ever. <laughs> Uh, this has a IMDb star rating of 7.4 out of 10. 94,000 people rated it as well. Set the scene for Tootsie, please. When Sidney Pollack passed away, uh, obviously it was really sad, but he was on my list of people I always wanted to work with because of this movie. And and I was like bummed. I would never get a chance in this lifetime to do that. Um, I uh, saw this movie, I think, when I was probably too young to really understand like all the comedy in it. Um, but it's a movie that like has grown, I've grown up with it, uh, watching it. And as I get older, I see like more and more nuances, more and more comedy. Um, I mean, I just thought it was funny, like Bill Murray in that movie, watching it as a kid and seeing like, Oh, this is how grownups act. Like was, I don't know. It made me excited to grow up. Like I thought like these people are weird and they're funny and, and they're interesting and they're artists and they're trying so hard. Um, they're falling in love. They can't help it. Like, I don't know. I just thought like it was smart. And I, and before I understood like what my brand of humor would be like, I thought like when I grow up, I want to be funny like this movie. Like I want my comedy to be like, this, I wouldn't have known at the time, but this dry and kind of like <laughs> a little darker sense of humor. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, obviously like the performances are all incredible and, you know, I suppose there's conversations to be had today about, you know, cross-dressing and that kind of thing. Um, but sometimes I just like, don't really want to spoil what was <laughs> like really special to me as a kid. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I I just thought it was smart and funny and touching and deep and weird. And it made me really excited to grow up and move to New York City, which I didn't end up doing. I moved to LA, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> when you were just becoming uh, an actress and, and you moved to LA, did you sort of think it was going to be like that? You'd be living uh, in a in a studio apartment with one person and kind of going out for these roles. You want to do a play with your roommate, like um, like yeah. Justin Hoffman character. Did yeah. you think that was going to happen? Oh yeah, yeah. I thought well, like, well, I'm going to go be an actor. I'll be like a starving artist, like they were. You know, um, that's what I thought. That's how I thought it worked. A hundred percent. Sidney Pollack. He oh. so funny. Speaking of things too early to watch, I the first time I ever heard of Sidney Pollock was when I was first getting into movies and I watched Eyes Wide Shut when I was like <laughs> when I was like twelve years old. 
<laughs> oh my god! Because I had seen The Shining, I had seen two thousand one, and I saw I you know he's the uh, the doctor, he's Tom Cruise's doctor in Eyes Wide Shut. Yes. So speaking of movies that I should not have seen when I was twelve years old, that is absolutely I'm not even sure I should see it now. I don't even know if I should see it now. Um, <laughs> know. Masterpiece, masterpiece movie. Uh, but he's in that, and he is so funny in Tootsie. Yeah. His oh scene, um, his first argument with um, Dustin Hoffman. Where he goes, they can't all be idiots if you argue with anyone. Like you are a tomato. Yeah. Like yeah, such a brilliant comedic timing in, in that whole thing. They and can't he, all be idiots, Michael. You argue with everybody. You've got one of the worst reputations in this town, Michael. Nobody will hire you. Are you saying that nobody in New York will work with me? Oh no, that's too limiting. Nobody in Hollywood wants to work with you either. I can't even send you up for a commercial. You played a tomato for 30 seconds. They went a half a day over schedule because you wouldn't sit down. Yes, it wasn't logical. You were a tomato! I know. That's kind of what I mean when I say, like, that's how I wanted to be funny. Like, I wanted to be funny like they were. every Like, Sydney, and and also, like, what a great role to give himself to, like, as the director. Like, just killing it. I mean, the scene in the Russian tea room when he realizes like it's Michael Dorsey and he's like, and then the guy comes up and they're all, it's just like so stressful. The scene is like so funny. And, and yes, when he is just like, no one will hire you. It's just incredible. Yeah. Um, and then an, another note I had is Jessica Lang. We've been, <gasps> so, we've been so trained to be horrified and terrified of her in recent years from her success on American Horror Story and all that stuff. And she is, it's so cool to see her young, uh, different, I mean, completely different person. Like her tone of voice is different the way she is. Like it's, it's really cool to see her, you know, however many years ago that was just at this kind of, you know, earlier in her career. Um, yeah. She, and she's brilliant in it. She's great. Like you feel her pain. You think like, does she want a mother figure within uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character or does, you know, is there sort of like love interest? There's a lot of really nice subtle writing that like they build throughout the thing and then obviously you know, the payoff at the end. But um, it, it, she's so great. Any thoughts on Jessica? Um, well, I directed a movie and uh, in it I had a scene where the this young boy gets pushed down and and then this pretty girl helps him up and I totally stole that moment when Dustin Hoffman drops his papers and she helps him up and she smiles and like you just see her and you're like oh my gosh uh I fully like was like this is what this is what we're doing for this shot (laughs) we're just gonna steal it from Dootsie it was like my homage um I have not gotten the pleasure of working with Jessica um Lang yet hopefully I will um but like she's ethereal and so flawed. And that's like another thing about this character is like, you can't help but love her because she's like, just wants to be loved, but she Mm -hmm. keeps making these horrible decisions. And I just, I love that. I love that she's not perfect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and how he feels about her regardless is it's so human and it's so much more interesting than if she's just like this perfect girl who doesn't care for him, you know? She's a train wreck, uh, just like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> just like the rest of them is right. Something that I think works really well for this movie and allows it to age. Um, obviously, like you said, there's some, you know, maybe some controversial things here mm-hmm. in today's world. But the fact that, um, man, why am I, Justin Hoffman's character. Um, oh, Michael Dorsey. Michael Dorsey. Dorsey. Michael, yeah. yeah, he never, he doesn't like, um, he doesn't really benefit from everything that happens. You know, he has his big moment at the end. Um, right. You know, you 
you know, if it turns out like he becomes this face of like this feminist movement in Hollywood, I think it would be a very different sort of context now. But he yeah. crashes after that and you know, he kind of has to go back to where he started. And I think that's a really interesting way to put it. Like he mm-hmm. has these good intentions and maybe he's being a little selfish by doing that moment where he takes off the wig and like says who mm-hmm. he is on that final episode. Um, but the fact that he doesn't come out on top, I think is, is a really, really cool way and sort of like heads up approach to, to that ending. How do you feel about that? I mean, I love the ending. And I also love that, like, throughout the whole story, like, he's really just trying to save up money to do that play. Like, he just wants to produce the play. And and because of that, like, it's almost all forgivable, you know? Like, he doesn't count on falling in love. He doesn't count on being such a success. Um, he can't help himself. But, uh, you know, like, you have this, like, through line, like, this journey for this character. It's like, I just need to get enough money to to produce this play with my friends so that I can star in it. And, um, and I think that, you know, once he gets it and he sees what a mess he's made and he's so entangled. Yeah. Like it's selfish, but it's makes for a really good scene <laughs> in the movie. It makes a really intense last like 30 minutes of that movie where like everything just keeps happening. It's like uh, falling apart. Yeah. I always think too, like um, if they were to make Tootsie today, I feel like I would totally get to play the Terry Gar role. <laughs> like I would a hundred percent be like the pining best friend who's just like, ah! yeah. like screaming when she watches the scene. Right. I'm in love with another woman. <laughs> I know. Yeah, she, she is very, very great in that. I would love to see you in that. Let's, let's get that done people. Okay. Uh, so let's go to the last one. So this is the one I had not seen before uh, and that I absolutely loved. So this is 1996's Citizen Ruth, uh, written and directed by Alexander Payne, starring Laura Dern, uh, Susie Kurtz, Mary Kay Place, uh, among many, many others. Uh, the synopsis is an irresponsible drug addicted, recently impregnated woman finds herself in the middle of an abortion debate uh, when both parties attempt to sway her to their respective sides. It is a 7 out of 10 on IMDb with 7,000 ratings. Guys, you so, got to get that reading Got to get it. People got to watch it. So, yeah, so I had never heard of this movie. Really? Um, no, I'd never heard of it. Oh, and well, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> and it was awesome. Like, it was so, so good. So, so yeah. what's the story behind this one? Um, the, uh, like the story from my, like my little like heart story about it Uh is, um, I was in acting school when it came out and in, and, and sort of like never thinking I would really want to be an actor or that I could really be a professional actor. It just seemed like an impossible thing to do. Um, and, and then I saw this movie and I thought to myself, like, if they're making movies like this, then then I want to be in this business. Then I really do care about it. And I care about these kinds of stories and these kinds of characters. Like this type of storytelling is what I would want to do as an artist is like what I care about. And, and then Laura Dern's performance is so like raw and gross and dirty and like ugly. And the, vulnerability she like she's just allows herself to really go there in a way that a lot of actresses just don't you know because they're and that's laura a hundred percent like she doesn't care about you know i mean of course she cares about like wanting to be beautiful but like you know what i'm right right. she is like she wants to play these like flawed deep ugly characters and um And I was just incredibly moved. I was incredibly moved also by the story 
the direction. But yeah, mm-hmm. it was mostly just thinking like, oh, maybe I do want to try this. Like if there's ever a world where I could play characters like this and tell these kinds of stories, then I think I do. I think I want to give it a shot. She and and what's great about this movie too. So this is 1996. This is a Laura Dern in a post Jurassic Park, post Blue Velvet world. She's very much like an established actress right now, and she takes this like role that I have not. I haven't seen all of her work. I've seen a lot of it, yeah. and it's something like. I mean, obviously, right now we're living in Laura Dern's world. We have yeah, big we little are. lives. We have marriage story, and seeing her play this such a different role. I mean, from the start, like from the opening sequence, um, you know, she's completely transformed and the, yeah. the story arc of her character is really, really like in- incredible to see. Um, something about this movie that I think is really, really interesting. Like obviously it, it, it deals with um, uh, one side of the uh, pro-life on the abortion debate and the other side of the pro-choice. Right. And just when they think you're really like, Oh, this is going to be all about how awful one side is. They swing yeah. it the other way and they just show you how extreme both sides are and how like, you know, the moral of the story, and I think I'm not going to spoil the ending of this one because a lot of people may have not seen this one. Yeah. Um, it's really about how like in sort of not even just the abortion debate, but really heavy debates, a lot of the times the sides aren't thinking about the person who is actually involved in like mm-hmm. what is happening. Um, yeah. and, and, and Alexander Payne, the writer director, like handles this so, so well. Like yeah. it really makes you think like, um, you know, yeah, like who is this about? This is about her. You know, it's not about anyone else. And, and it's it's so good. Like for a while there, like in the you know, the second half of the movie, every 10 minutes, they keep ramping up, like, let's let's see how far we can push this and push this, yeah. push this. And then like now you're watching it and it's like maybe at the time it seemed like very extreme, but now it's like I can like kind of see all this like this like media showmanship happening and like all these extreme gestures happening. It's it's, it's crazy. I mean, I can't even imagine like you having seen this for the first time now because isn't it like I know we don't want to make this political, but isn't sure, it sure. disgusting how relevant this is? Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Like, right now, when you think about like that, we are. This movie came out in 1996, and as women, we are still still fighting for our right to choose and fighting yeah. for our own power over our own bodies. And you can't even. And it's like another, you know, at the time when this came out, and I saw it, and I was like. God, I can't believe we're still having these arguments and these fights. And now it's been, you know, like it's still relevant and it's upsetting and also hilarious when you watch this movie. It really does shine a light on how ridiculous people can get and how they, as you said so perfectly, like they really lose sight of their, Mm -hmm. of what, of the cause, you know? they fight so hard that they don't really see that there is like a real impact on actual human beings. Yeah. Um, these decisions are important, you know, they're important to like one person and they're important to like all the sort of like, you know, faceless people that right. they affect. Anyway, it's just, and, and then also um, I was like, who is this director and everything, you know, my, one of my main goals, I said earlier, I wanted to work with Sidney Pollack and I wanted to work more than anything with Alexander Payne. Mm. Um, every movie he's done, I've just loved so much. And I, um, and I finally did, I got to work with him on a movie called the descendants. And I was just like, uh, I couldn't wait to tell him how much I love Citizen <laughs> Ruth. And he was like, really? And you know, <laughs> when you do, uh, 
when you do press for movies, they ask you all the time, especially when you're working with such esteemed directors like right. Alexander Payne. And they're like, what's your favorite Alexander Payne movie? You know, and I'm always like Citizen Ruth, man. Like, and my favorite Laura Dern performance, um, not to try to ask you to see all the movies I've ever been in, but I did a movie with Laura Dern called Wilson a few years ago with Woody Harrelson. And she really, I feel like brings Ruth back, uh, through this character a little bit. She, she's, um, I like seeing a lot of Ruth in that when we were shooting the movie. And I was like, oh, so cool. Funny you say that because we actually interviewed her um, at IMDb on the IMDb show. And uh, we asked her what character would she most like to revisit. And she said, Is that Ruth? Ruth? Yeah. Yeah. So very aligned. Um, (laughs) Some other things on my notes. Lord Durham gives a great F-bomb. Like, my God. And the way she drops F-bombs in this movie is fantastic. She... It's so good. And then uh, the Burt Reynolds uh, cameo is unbelievable. Like his introduction monologue, and then it cuts to him getting his massage. Like he's, oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Um, do you have any other favorite, favorite scenes uh, from the movie? I mean, I just, I don't, I guess I don't want to spoil the ending. At the end of all this, there's sort of this like melancholy. To me, it feels like a melancholy moment. Um at the very end and Mm -hmm. it's just so beautiful because like it's so hard to um, maintain tone and this movie you know a lot of times when you like are pitching ideas to people it's like what's the tone what's the tone what's the tone and and this movie somehow manages to be sort of over the top and grounded Grounded, yeah it's broad but these people are all so grounded um and and then you have this like sort of like beautiful moment at the end, at least the way I'm remembering it as yeah. being like almost melancholy. Um, and you feel like, you know, I can't say it because yeah, I, I want people to watch so, the movie. I know, me too. So my last <laughs> note I wrote was awesome ending that will stick with me. Yeah. Like the, la- the last five minutes, I like when it ended, I was like, that is like, Mm-hmm. A very, very like it's like the perfect way to end the movie. Oh, God, I, I know I want to talk about. That, but, I know because um, you can't, you're like, how is this going to play out? Like, what is going to yeah. happen? What is she going to do? Yeah. And when it happened, I'm also a really good audience. Like, I had to watch the end of The Sixth Sense like five times. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, no, no, no. So I'm exactly who you want at a test screening. If anyone needs to go to a test, like once I'm really, I'll laugh, I'll cry, I'll scream. I will be like, oh my God. So I really was like, how is he going to wrap this up? What's going to happen? What's she going to do? I had, there was no part of me that saw that coming. And then I was like, course yeah and and it's 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 really beautiful there's like a great shot yeah just like the final like shots yeah. are it's so good people just watch it citizen ruth <laughs> just <watch> it. <laughs> yeah just watch it um all right so we have citizen ruth we talked about pulp fiction tootsie and casablanca do you see any through line uh through any of these movies <laughs> no, do, do you see any sort of connective tissue between them all um do you I was thinking, like, you seem to have, uh, for the ones, like, you have a specific moment of where you watched it. Oh, yeah. I think maybe the connective tissue could be time in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was even thinking about, when I was getting ready to talk to you today, I was thinking about, like, God, I can't believe I didn't say, like, a John Hughes movie. Because, like, Mm -hmm. John Hughes, like, was one of my parents growing up. (laughs) Like, that's how I feel about his movies, you know? Um, But... 
And like, well, I guess if you were going to let me say more movies, like certainly like Pretty in Pink would be Please, on my list. Please roll them off, rattle them off. Yeah. I mean, you know, like that movie I felt like changed me because I felt like, oh, I'm understood, you know, and like, like um, it made so much sense to me. And I thought like, oh, I'm being represented in a movie. Okay, cool. Uh, also, but like, I think what you're saying is true. Like for me, it's like time in my life and all those John Hughes movies kind of, they are like sort of packed into this little chunk of time in my life. But the ones I, the list I gave you really, um, yeah, they, they were specific to like where I was in my life and also literally like geographically when I saw them that like they have the most impact on me. Fantastic. I would also say if I was allowed to say one more that, um, keep going. Like, but there are no rules be, here. Um, like uh, Rushmore really mm. kind of blew my mind um, in, a, in a sort of similar way that Pulp Fiction did when I first saw Rushmore. Um, I did see Bottle Rocket first, but and I loved it, but there was just something about Rushmore that felt like... Rushmore fresh. hits different. Yeah, and it's like, it just is so earnest and uh, like such an earnest story. Um and so beautifully told, I felt like it really was like, a, it, you know, was I was like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. I'm going to, I like this kind of movie and I didn't yeah. even know that it existed. Yeah, I am um, the worst, most annoying Wes Anderson fanboy. Oh, like I mean, every, yeah. every time a new Wes Anderson trailer comes out, I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, did you see? She's just like, let me guess. There's symmetry and there's colors. I'm like, yes, that's exactly yes, what it is. Yes, I know. I uh, like I, I when I directed, I've directed one movie so far. Hopefully more. Uh-huh. But I, but I found myself like really like coffee trying to. I steal. That's what you're supposed <laughs> to do, right? I yeah, mean, of course. Um, so I was, I found myself like when I was shot listing, like always kind of like leaning on those yeah. kind of shots, those like Wes Anderson shots when possible. Are you excited for the French dispatch, his upcoming uh, <laughs> movie? <laughs> Just say, are you excited for, and if it's yeah. like anything to do with him, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the first trailer for that. Like when I was watching it, I'm like, this is just Wes Anderson at full Wes Anderson mode. And I'm very, yeah. very excited for that. And I'm here out. for that. I'll always yes. be here for that. Yep. Um, well, awesome. Judy, thanks so much for hanging out. Um, yeah, this was things I love and I love that you love those too. Yes. Uh, thank I mean, again, thank you for citizen Ruth. I will be recommending (laughs) that to people for a while. Um, so, okay. So into the dark, uh, good boy comes out June 12th, 2020. Uh, it's gonna be on Hulu. Anything else you want to talk about for people to keep an eye on? Uh, we're finishing up recording season 11 of Archer. Um, because, uh, because of the pandemic, we had to push our, our premiere date. Um, so I don't have a date to tell you about it, but Hulu, sorry, FX on Hulu is now streaming all the episodes. So, um, if you have Hulu, you should just go back and yeah, you should go back and catch up on mm-hmm. one of the most uh, brilliant ever yeah. that by the way also another i told you when people would like arrested development i thought they were cool and when archer first came out if people would be like dude archer's awesome i would be like you're cool well judy thank you so much this was <laughs> a great episode me. oh good um, it was really fun well thank you so much and we will talk to you soon i hope so thank yeah. you have a good weekend thank you bye, bye. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget, go to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on Judy and her picks. And uh, while you're there, go ahead and add whichever movies you need to watch to your IMDb watch list as well. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.